welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I have Liz Fiddler here with me. Liz owns Sunnyberry Meadow Flower Farm, a business that she started from scratch with a little 20 by 30 garden and a farm stand, which has turned into multiple six-figure revenue business selling directly to consumers in four seasons. I love the detail of this. It answers so many questions that people have about direct-to-consumer farms. Um, And then after the unexpected death of her husband in 2020, which was caused by a heart attack while running, she was left with a hobby farm and realized just how expensive and much work it was going to be to keep living here. So she knew she needed to make it her own and find a way to support her family because the last thing that she wanted to do was sell it. So let's dive in there. Um, That's a very brief uh, synopsis of what sounds like there's a, lot, there's a lot in there there's a lot in there yeah, um a long journey but also it hasn't been that long like no this has been, been wrong fast yeah it's been he he died december of 2020 um and so it's been three years and one month and nine days actually wow <laughs> but, wow yeah. well, that is an important part of your story that i want to hear more about can you kind of take us back to the beginning of buying the farm and kind of growing that as a hobby and then what what all unfolded from there yeah so we live on the farm that my late husband grew up on so he was the fifth generation to live here and this farm has been a lot of businesses um there has been a blacksmith shop a butcher shop they um dairy farmed they that then had a feedlot. They had hogs. There was, I think I said a blacksmith, blacksmith shop already. There were horses. It was a sawmill. Um, this farm has just been a lot of businesses. At one point, there were four brothers operating four different businesses on the farm at the same time. Um, and then, you know, contrary to the like, oh, the farm is handed down. Like, no, every generation has bought it from the previous generation. Um, and we were the first to not be farming full-time. Um, his dad in 2014, 2015, we got married in 2014. Around that time, he said, well, I'm ready to retire in a year or two. Um, I'm going to build a new house. The house that we moved into was 130 years old. And, you know, it's, it, it wasn't the, uh, car- you know, the, the cute, charming old farmhouse. It was a very old farmhouse with a dirt floor and you know, just needed a lot of updates and the foundation was crumbling and it was borderline and couldn't quite live in it, put it that way. Um, and so we said, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we want to buy it. We want to raise our kids there, but it's, it's going to be different. I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I had 
three years left of grad school. So I was in nurse practitioner school at South Dakota State at the time. And so we said, you know what, we'll buy it. We're going to sell our place in town. This was not in the plan. Like it's going to be hard for us to even make that mortgage while we're doing it, but we didn't want to see it go to anyone else. And so we bought it unsure of what we would do, but knowing some sort of hobby, probably business because um, my husband worked in egg lending. Um, he actually was the head of sales for this region for a company called Compeer, which is part of the farm credit system. And, you know, we knew like, okay, maybe we'll have, you know, we'll buy some weeding calves and feed out a few steers or, you know, again, we didn't really know what it was going to look like, but we knew we would do something with it. It just wasn't going to be our primary source of income, mainly because it was, you know, 18 really old outbuildings and 40 acres with 23 acres tillable, like not exactly going to make a living off of that. And, you know, what would we do? And so um, when I graduated in 2019, um, that I started my job December of 19 as a nurse practitioner. And um, then of course, COVID hit a couple months later. So I only had a couple months of like normal job, normal life. Our daughter was, um, just turned two when I started my job um, and then COVID hit. And so then that summer I had a big garden, a flower garden, and I saw some, you know, accounts on Instagram of like selling flowers at a farm stand. And we did a ton of canning and we had already, we already like named our farm, which is kind of funny. Cause like, Oh, well we named the farm. Like, even though it wasn't really a farm or a business or anything, but we named it sunny Mary Meadow because his mom's name was Mary and she had passed away in a farming accident in 2010. And so I started this farm stand at the end of the driveway and we made like canned goods and we got our cottage food license. And it was really just our hobby that we did through COVID. And remember we're in Minnesota, so it was locked down tight. Like you could not go inside a grocery or a restaurant. We couldn't bring our daughter inside a grocery store. Like you could only have one person with you. Like it was, you know, church was online, you know, on YouTube, there wasn't, there wasn't an in-person church at our parish. Like, I mean, when I say we went nowhere, like we just, nothing was open. If I left the state, I had to let my employer know because I was the healthcare provider. Like it was, it was, you know, and I, I think you have a lot of rural people that are listening and, you know, we are too, but just remember our experience with COVID was probably different than most of your listeners. And so we had this farm stand and it turned into something way more than I would have thought. I sold 400 bouquets. Well, I sold 200 and for everyone I sold, I donated a second to a nursing home. And honestly, we were like, well, let's, let's expand it a little bit. This was fun. Like it was profitable. Like maybe this can be our thing that we do on the farm as kind of, you know, side hustle, extra money, but also, you know, helps us get a schedule F on our taxes, you know, just a legit business that's, you know, doing something. And then, you know, but we knew we weren't going to be home all the time. So we didn't know if the farm stand thing was going to be work long-term. And then he passed away of a heart attack in December. And that was on a Wednesday. His funeral was on Monday. And on Tuesday, I found out I was pregnant. So, um, kind of took a step back and, you know, I had, I think I had probably, I bet there were 20 random people that asked if I was going to sell the farm, if the farm was for sale. Like, it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, 40 acres, pretty close to town. And, you know, and I just was like, no. And then it was almost this like, out of anger, like, no, I'm not going to sell it. And then when I started realizing, you know, I'll never forget 
you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with the flowers. I know they brought me joy. I knew I wanted to keep doing something, but I just, you know, was just obviously in survival mode. But I remember when I first realized because he managed the finances, we were very much a divide and conquer couple. Um, It's not that I was incapable. I mean, obviously I've figured out how to do it now, but it's just, we were, uh, you know, don't mess with each other's stuff and divide and conquer. And I remember when I found out how much our property taxes were. And I remember when I found out how much insurance was to have all of these outbuildings and all of these things. And I just was like, oh my gosh, it is so expensive to live here. And I, unless I'm going to make this farm, like, I don't want to just live here and have the buildings empty and live here because this is where daddy grew up. But, you know, half the buildings are, you know, basically condemned borderline, you know, they're, you know, so neglected. And so, yeah, I just, I made the choice that I was going to start a business off of the, or on the farm and it's kind of exploded. It's quite a story. Um, to go through that, I you brought up several points that I want to touch on. And one of them is that when you guys decided to buy the farm and name the farm, how much legacy was wrapped up in that. And I think that's like, it's so unique to people that are in ag and who have had kind of a touch with that farm life that we see that as value. Was that something that you had talked about before? Or was this just totally out of the blue that you were like, okay, we are going to buy the farm now. Um, we, we had no idea that the opportunity was ever going to come. It was never discussed whatsoever until it was presented to us and asked if we wanted to buy it. And like I said, we were, um, actually it's kind of funny. I'm working on, um, I'm going to be speaking at a, it's called women in blue jeans event, uh, in Mitchell, South Dakota in February. And so I was kind of working on my speech for that. And I, I'm starting it out as, you know, leap of faith. And I'm, I'm making a, a life bingo card for myself. What my bingo card looked like in 2020 and what my bingo card looks like now. Right. Cause my life yeah. is so different. And, um, yes, some circumstances and some crappy things happened to me, but, it's what you respond and how you act. And yeah, moving out to the farm is definitely not on our bingo card. Um, when I started grad school as a nurse practitioner, um, you know, we thought, okay, well, our house will be paid off in town at this time. And then eventually we'll try to move to an acreage in the country because we both grew up on farms. I grew up on a beef farm in Southwest Minnesota. Um, my brothers still raise cattle down there together. Um, Weber Bros Cattle Company. Um, and then my dad's still there too. But, um, you know, we knew we wanted our kids to be in 4-H, FFA, but again, it's, it's expensive to farm and what kind of farm I, mean, I didn't know flower farming exists. I didn't know that was an option and until now. And it, it is farming. Trust me. Like it's still very much farming just in a different, in a different, you know, way than most traditional like row crop crop or yeah. Absolutely. I love that flower farming in some ways has made farming more accessible to people um, because of the lower input cost as far as like equipment and land goes that makes it amazing an amazing opportunity for women and for just beginning farmers what kind of flowers did you start out with that first year when you were doing the roadside stand yeah so I had a little like 20 by 30 garden and I just I read a book um I don't even remember what it's called. Something about, you know, cut flowers. I, you know, bought one off of Amazon and, you know, just a lot of, 
you know, fl- not all flowers make good cut flowers. They don't last long in the vase. And so I grew things that last lasted long in the vase, mostly straight from seed. Um, Cause now, I mean, it's just kind of funny how you progress and, you know, as you grow, your expenses obviously really grow. Um, so when I say, you know, oh, my, my flower farm grosses, you know, somewhere between 150 to 180,000, like, no, that doesn't mean I make that much money, but that, that is truly like what it grosses. But eventually, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not planting little seed trays with grow lights in my basements anymore. Now I can get like a truckload of plugs that come in and I outsource another company obviously to start those seedlings for me and then i transplant them but for the most part i try to grow a lot of flowers that the more you cut them the more they keep producing because like tulips sunflowers stock they're really pretty but you cut them one time and then they're done whereas like zinnias dahlias snapdragons the more you cut them the more you they keep producing and so it's it's finding that balance um and i actually I started my own podcast, the Sunny Mary Metal podcast, where I I thought I was going to teach people how to grow flowers. And I thought it was going to be a deeper connection with my current customers because I have I have about 100 people that come out every week for a subscription. They pre-buy it in the off season and then they come out and then we do these things called stem bars where they can make their own bouquets, sometimes here at the farm, sometimes at a brewery. Um, and then I do you picks where people can pick their own. And then we also let companies come out for like a team building morning or something like that. And I thought my podcast was going to do kind of show the behind the scenes and just engage with my customers, my local people that buy flowers. But what ended up happening was all of these flower farmers are finding me and they're like, I want to do that too. Because like you said, it, it is an option to generate a real source of revenue and, you know, you might say, well, you know, that'll never work in my rural area. Well, I nope, that's not true either, because you just have to adjust. Don't grow the things that are really expensive to grow that you have to store that are labor intensive. But, you know, if you grow the flowers that are less labor intensive, you can price them for less because there's less inputs into it. Um, but yeah, so that turned into the podcast. And then from the podcast, I started my coaching business where I coach other flower farmers on, you know, building a business similar to mine. That's amazing. I think you have absolutely just turned lemons into lemonade and, and made the best of the situation at every turn, which I think people can look at from the outside and be like, yeah, that unfolded really nicely for you. But it takes a genuine mindset yes. to tackle that every day. Yes, yes, it's a lot of, uh, I'm not kidding when I say that there are days where I get out of bed and I know I'm crabby. I know I'm going to have a bad day. And I did a lot of therapy when my husband first passed away. I mean, it's taken a lot of work to get to where I'm at. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a happy person. I'm a content person now. Um, I'm still sad. I still miss him. I'm still angry that this was on my bingo card, but, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, start over. Like I have literally laid back down in bed, covered myself up with the blankets and got up again. I'm like, okay, like there are bad moments, but I'm not going to let myself have a bad day. That's not fair to my late husband. I'm, I refuse to have a bad day. I will have bad moments, but I'm not going to have a bad day. That's really incredible. Very strength of mind there. Um, exemplified. I think a lot of people that have gone through 
much less or are faced with much less challenges on a day-to-day basis struggle to have that attitude. So that's very inspiring. Um, I, uh, you mentioned the expense of living on the farm and the, especially like a farm that has a lot of outdated buildings. That's something that we have faced as well, um, both on our previous property and the one we're on now, trying to figure out what to do with the assets and the resources you have to make it make sense and mm-hmm. to try to preserve what's there because it's beautiful history. We're um, a sixth generation farm here and it would be so sad to have to tear things down just because you know, they, they don't serve their purpose anymore. So have you found any solutions to that or how have you guys approached that? Yeah, so we actually, so there used to be a USDA inspected butcher shop here on the farm until um, I think that like 1986 or 1987, it quit being inspected, but we still make sausage, like venison sausage out there. Um, But I had the perfect spot. And it's kind of funny because, you know, people will be like, well, that's lucky. That's a coincidence. Like no one wants to give you credit for any of your hard work or your just thinking. And they're like, and I have a walk-in cooler that is probably, I don't know, seven by 14. And it's just amazing. Um, It's perfect for flowers. And, you know, a couple, you know, so many like flower farmers, they're like, well, that's a lucky coincidence. And it's like, I I love Taylor Swift and she has, you know, the song Mastermind. And it's like at the very beginning, she's like, what if I told you that none of it was accidental? Like (laughs) I, I looked around, like Josh and I had this conversation, like, well, we could have a flower farm because we have literally a shop with a storefront. Like it needs some fixing up, but we have this building with this huge walk-in cooler. Hmm, maybe flowers would work well. Um, and so just trying to repurpose what we have there. Um, I actually just hosted on Saturday, we had the first ever flower farmer forum um, and 26 flower farmers from Minnesota, there were two from South Dakota that were supposed to come. They couldn't because of the storm. There were two from Iowa that were supposed to come from because of this put it because of the storm. There were a couple from Wisconsin um, but came and I organized speakers and I had someone from like the FSA, uh, the NRCS talking about like high tunnel equip grants, um, CSP conservation stewardship program um, talked about, yeah, FSA, like you can get operating loans to build a walking cooler, but you can get, well, you know, and then we talked about, um, we had someone from the extension there, um, talking about, you know, different grants, different opportunities there. We had an insurance agent came and talked about like agritourism laws, agri, um, so agritourism and agritainment is the big, the big buzzword agritainment. And that's what a lot of us are in. Um, I had one of my best friends who's a loan officer for Compere, um, farm credit, you know, talking about different options and just like how to set up your balance sheets, how to get prepared for a loan. Because even if you're asking for a grant or asking for any of that, you have to have that paperwork. And then in the afternoon, we had like some florists and more like floral design and what they want us to grow. But it it was just kind of funny because most people in that room, like didn't even realize okay, yes, this is flower farming is part of your schedule F. And this is like, we are, we are small micro farms, but we, we do qualify for all of that. And a lot of times it is considered like urban access. And so actually the one building on our farm, um, 
that I like, we're still just kind of at a loss is the, is the dairy barn. Um, and it's, I'm looking at it right now at my window and I gotta just, I, I think the actual like stanchions itself, it had, it had 70 cows maybe. So like all the stanchions are still in there. They quit milking in 2007. And so, I mean, and it's got like the barn cleaner, it's got everything. Um, but it's in really good shape. They built it in the seventies. And so like the cinder blocks, the foundations, the, all of the wood was made rough saw lumber here from the sawmill here on the farm. And so we're just trying to figure out what to do with that. I had an estimate. Um, thankfully, they, you know, again, luckily, um, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is a coincidence. It's not like I dated him because of that, but my fiance actually works for, and is a shareholder for a huge water company. And so he can like borrow equipment on the weekend. So like he can bring up an excavator and, you know, it was just kind of funny. I'm like, Oh, I really wish I had a hydrant outside of my high tunnel. And he's like, well, do you want like a temporary one that we blow out? Or are you going to need water in the winter? I'm like, I'm going to need water in the winter. So he dug an eight foot deep trench all the way there and just like install the hydrant on a Sunday afternoon for me. Like that's, that's pretty convenient. Nice. But um, <laughs> I, I am looking into how much, and it'll be about $40,000 to like, jackhammer out all of the stanchions and pour new concrete inside the dairy barn but it's it's the biggest barn in the center of the property and it's completely not usable um even if we just used it for storage even if we stored people's snowmobiles or boats or whatever in it um it needs it needs to get done because otherwise you know it's just going to get more decrepit and not used so i'm trying to i'm starting to explore if there's like any grants for that like i mean it's it's literally not usable space. It's not, you know, um, just to restore it, to make it usable. So again, I don't have any exact answers, but I think, you know, for some of those opportunities, but yeah, it's, it's definitely expensive. Yeah. Expensive and a challenge that comes along with moving to an old farmstead, um, which it's so amazing to hear the history of all of the different kinds of businesses that were there. Like how cool that's such an embodiment of the ag entrepreneur. I feel like that it's like, well, Mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do now because this is what we have the resources for. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, for example, that dairy bar, like I started talking to my best friend who's a loan officer and she was actually, my husband was her boss. And so, you know, we're, we're finally chatting about it because that's kind of the last building that we really want to like work on. The rest were just kind of a lot of paint, maybe some plumbing, maybe some insulating, but things that we could, you know, tinker around on our own and a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. Well, many, you know, but (laughs) over the last few years, but this dairy barn is the one that it's like, okay, how can we use this? What do we use it for? And I, I do think there's a lot of opportunity for, I don't, I do not want to have weddings on my farm. I don't want to turn it into that type of, um, property because this is my home. It is a special place. I live here. I don't want that on the weekends, but I do think there's a huge opportunity for, you know, if a bride and her bridesmaids want to come out on a Thursday morning and make their own bouquets, like in a lesson or something like that. And so that workspace definitely, you know, what would that return be? Um, I don't think I want to heat it in January. Um, and we really wouldn't need water in there necessarily in like the big open part where the, where the bulk tank used to be, there's water and plumbing in there. We just blow those lines out. Um, like with the air compressor again, fiance has a set of skills. I don't know, but, um, 
definitely could be used that way. Um, so it's just trying to figure out like, okay, do I get a, do I get a seven year loan and just do it and try to rent it out in the winter and, you know, or what, what it would, what would it be saving me? You know, if I decide not to do the flower farmer forum in January, if I could do it in October when it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, fully heated, we could have a couple of heaters in there, but it, it'd be fine or what, you know, like, yeah. Okay. And then I don't have to rent out the hotel conference room. I could host it here. You know, just trying to look at any way you can justify it. And honestly, like you can talk yourself into anything. So it's how bad do you want to do it. True. Very true. I think that brings us into another part that you mentioned in your bio that you are in all four seasons. You have things going on and things happening. How does that change the game for you? And what does that look like? Yeah. So I, you know, it's kind of funny in so many things in agriculture, there are, you know, there's people who think that if you're not a hundred percent this way, then you're doing it wrong. And I would say flower farming is definitely one of those like, you know, sustainable, no-till, like, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I definitely know that there's room for improvement and I want to take good care of my land because I want you know, to continue, but it's, it's sometimes it's like, yep, yeah, but it's a process to get fully there, you know, to reduce that footprint or whatever it might be. Um, and so I, I think that there's a time and a place for imported flowers. I'm not going to say, oh, you're evil. If you buy roses from Ecuador, cause guess what? Those roses from Ecuador are really pretty. And sometimes if that's what helps someone's seasonal depression, like I don't feel bad about you know, I think I'm doing an event for Galentine's day. Um, we'll make, you know, I'll have the, I've got these little like square boxes with the greenery in them. And then you can add, you know, pick your little filler flowers and, you know, make your own bouquet and, um, do it that way. So I've really transitioned my business to be around that way. We do porch pots. I buy spruce tips. I'm not, I mean, yeah, I'm in Minnesota, but, and we actually do have some woods, um, probably three acres of our property is some evergreen trees. But again, I'm not going to go out there with my knife and, you know, again, what, what is your time worth as a business owner? And, you know, for me to just outsource those products and then, you know, put them together. Um, but I also, my business model is I, I try to pre-sell 70% of my flowers in the off season. So actually right now I'm reaching out to businesses and saying, okay, you know, you were interested last year or you came last summer. Do you want to just get something on the calendar right now for a Tuesday morning in July for your employees to come pick flowers at, you know, for a picnic or a, a work retreat or whatever, or, you know, reaching out to that. My subscriptions are pre-sold. Um, I do a nursing home sponsorship where businesses pay for flowers to get delivered to a nursing home. And then it's just kind of a win, win, win for everyone. Um, so yeah, I'm really, I, I try to keep, you know, I have a set amount in my mind of how much sales per month. Cause in the summertime, then, you know, my subscriptions or, you know, those nursing home sponsorships, those are already pre-sold They're you know, so my sales in the summer are when people come pick their own on a Saturday morning or come build their own on a Tuesday night or a Monday night, um, from the STEM bars, the pre-picked buckets. So those are my sales, like the subscriptions, well, that money came in in December. We, we got to keep, you know, and I have a couple of employees and yeah, just navigating all of that. 
I think that idea of pre-sales, um, we're starting to see it in some places in like local food sales of pre-selling your quarter of CSAs or yeah. yeah, your CSA subscription, your whatever it may be. And I think that's going to start to have a big effect on agriculture. You know, we've always been the people that kind of take the short end of the stick where we buy at, at retail and sell at wholesale. But this mm-hmm. concept that lets you kind of spread out your cash flow and take a little mm-hmm. bit more control of that is really interesting. And I'm excited to see how it changes things and yeah. that you guys can kind of increase that norm for people in your own way. Yeah, I have um, I have two. So my my business course is called Peddling Perishable Products. Um, we did the first round last fall, and so what I what I started doing last summer was when this podcast, when everyone kept asking me questions um, about how to start a flower farm, I'd try to email them back, but then I'm like, you know, I I don't have time for this. I I want to help you, but I I just can't. So then I would say, all right, here's the deal. I would like answer vaguely briefly and then I would send them a link and I'd say if you want to schedule a one hour phone call with me um you know here's what I charge for a consultation and a lot obviously didn't bite on it because they're like oh well I don't want to know that bad I'm not I'm not gonna pay you I'll just spend five years figuring out the hard way why would I pay you for the answer you know which is fine absolutely fine um but then there were people that started asking, but then I found that they would ask the same questions over and over. So that's when I decided to start this course. And we had the first group here um, last fall, and then I have another group starting up in March. So enrollment is actually open. Um, it'll be open through the end of February for that course. But um, like I have, I have two farmers. Um, ranchy stems out of alpina south dakota um katie olson and audra shield and you know we've had conversations about when when do they invest in the high tunnel with the ranunculus and the you know the dahlias or just you know the more expensive more premium flowers and the plugs of lysianthus that the plugs themselves cost 40 cents and you need to sell them for 250 a stem just to make it work and i'm like you know I don't think you're going to grow those kinds of flowers, not right away. I think, you know, what I try to teach them is it's not our responsibility as farmers to work for minimum wage so that someone can have their dream bouquet at a discount, you know, especially like getting into weddings, like, well, no one's going to pay that much for a bouquet. Well, that is what that bouquet costs. That's what it, and I get like prices in the cities versus prices, you know, in a rural area, but we're not doing it any cheaper and our labor shouldn't be cheaper than in what it is because we live in a rural area. We still have the same expenses. And so what I, what I have taught them and I, I know they're going to be so successful. They're so great. But I just say, you know, if I sell, you know, they're like, you're, my bouquets are $30. Like my bouquet, my standard size, normal bouquet, I have standardized it to be a $30 bouquet. I know the ingredients that go into it. Some of my customers at the beginning, they were like, oh, well, your bouquets used to be $15 and now they're 30. And I say, no, I used to sell a $15 bouquet with $15 worth of labor and products and upsell. Now my product is different. Like these bouquets are way better and different than what I used to sell. And so what I tell um, the gals at Revenge Stems, for example, like, okay, if the customer base in Miller, South Dakota, isn't going to pay $30 at the farmer's market, but they might pay 20, don't take a $30 bouquet and only charge 20. You need to create a $20 bouquet. And if that means it's 
plants of flowers that are straight from seed and not necessarily, you know, ones that you invest in the plug, like that's okay. And it's, but then you're, you know, way less labor intensive, way less input costs, way less, you know. And I think what helps me value my time is the fact that I am a nurse practitioner. I still work one day a week as a nurse practitioner because I'm not giving up my license, but I, I kind of compare everything I do on the flower farm within reason, right? Like, and I'm definitely not above, I mean, I do the derbiest jobs. I never, you know, you can ask my employees, I never make them like if it's something like pulling weeds, like, cause there's those in June, that's all we do is pull weeds um, before the plants get really established. And I am out there with them because if I sat my butt on the computer inside the air conditioned house while they're out there pulling weeds for six hours, nope, I will be next to them. And we're all doing it for four hours and then we're calling it a day and it's going to be a short day. Like we're going to, everyone has to help. Nobody is exempt from that job because that job sucks, you know? So just knowing knowing what my time is worth, but also realizing that if I don't jump in and get my hands dirty, then I'm not going to have anyone to follow me or, you know, you got to lead by example. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot of good nuggets there for anybody, whether you're starting a flower farm or any other business. I think what you mentioned there about creating the $20 bouquet for the $20 budget is applicable to so many things that we deal with in in any kind of business. So that's a great nugget. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that you mentioned, I think, was that as you've kind of grown, you are starting to do this course and help educate other people through events, through the course, through like consulting. Um, That's a skill set in and of itself to be able to pass on your knowledge. Not everybody can do that. Is that something that you kind of jumped into right away when you started seeing success or at what point did you realize like, this is something I need to be doing too? Um, I think I, so as a nurse practitioner, um, and I was in family medicine, so I worked full time, um, basically for a whole year until my husband passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so only one year was I full time as a nurse practitioner. And then I was able, I don't know, I wouldn't say able, I had to, I took off three months after he passed away because I, I had a medical diagnosis of a grief reaction. So I was on FMLA for three months. Um, and then I came back for six months and then I had my daughter. So then I was on maternity leave again for, uh, three months after that. So in that six months, I cut back to, um, I said, I'm going to come back three days a week from eight to four. Cause before I was four days a week from 7.30 to 5. So I worked, I still had one day a week off, but I was like a 0.9 FTE or something like that. So I went back at a 0.6. Um, and then as my flower farm grew, I started having some part-time employees and I just realized like, I, I can't do both and I don't want to do both because my, my patients are suffering by not being able to get in with me and they send a message and it sits there for three days. If I take one day of vacation, that means I have five days in a row off and I don't want, you know, I just, I can't do it at all. And so then my employer actually gave me the opportunity to work from home. So every Wednesday I do video visits for 12 hours, which is long, but you know, it's your pink eyes, whatever, but it's not that different than what I'm doing now in this educating. Like I, Yes, my degree is a doctorate degree as a nurse practitioner, but nursing and nurse practitioner is teaching is and it's providing patients with the tools they need to get healthy. Sometimes that tool is a medication. 
Oftentimes it's advice. It's, you know, coming up with a plan for exercising, physical therapy, getting, you know, a referral, but it's helping them come up with a plan. So it's it's not that different mm-hmm. than what I am doing right now, even if it's teaching people how to <laughs> run the business. And I always say it's, it's not a technical fix um, because if it was a one word answer, like, how do I sell my flowers? Post them on Facebook, say they're for sale. Next. Like, I mean, that's the technical answer, but it's it's the the mindset and the way of thinking and you know, just the questions of that I've learned along the hard way, or I've learned the hard way along the way of, you know, hey, if at the end of the farmers market, you know, if there's a half hour left and I haven't sold any, should I discount the price? No, you do not discount the price. You come up with a plan to deliver those to another business in town and say, hey, thanks so much. Can I have these? Can I just set these on your coffee table and have your business cards next to them? Or whatever it might be, it's peddling perishable products because if you don't sell them all at the end of the day, you either throw them away or you you can't just save them for the next day because they'll be a day older. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Very smart. I hadn't thought about the correlations there between nurse practicing and being a business consultant or teaching people how to farm um, or sell their parish. What's the name of the course again? Peddling perishable products. There we go. That's very, I like the alliteration. Um, So that's very interesting that you kind of have how you've grown this in steps and along the way, I'm sure there's been a lot of joys and a lot of low points. Um, What are some of the ones that stick out to you? So when I decided, so it'll be a year since I, cut back to just the one day a week and my fiance and I like sat down and he's very supportive. He's very handy. Like we joke, you know, we call him, he has a shirt that's this flower farmer. And like, he's just like, it's funny. There'll be like the you pick and he'll come around and he'll be like, Oh, someone's sitting on that picnic table. And I meant to like, and he'll run over there with like his wrench and like tighten the bolt. So it's not uneven. Like, it's just so funny. Like he loves, hosting people and just like, he's always like tinkering around and stuff. But, you know, we said, I'm like, get, let's give it two years. Let's give it two full years of going all in. And if I'm still working 70 hours a week and killing myself to, you know, for what, or not making a profit or not, you know, like then I'll just go back to being a full-time nurse practitioner. Like I'm, I'm not going to work, you know, or if there, there's no work-life balance or whatever. And so I would say, the last, especially this winter, I'm just like, okay, we're not, we're not going to function in a state of emergency anymore because guess what? On a farm, whether it's a flower farm, a beef farm, you know, right now my brothers are in the heat of calving season they have like 200 cows that they calve out. I mean, it's again, on every farm, there's always an emergency, right? There's always something. And it's just like adjusting that mindset and like, it'll be okay. We'll figure it out. And so right now I'm really trying to get systems in place. Um, I've hired a lot of people to help, um, help manage it all. Um, because it is, I mean, it's a big, 
it's a big undertaking with everything that we have going on. Like we have multiple email newsletters. We have multiple, you know, cause there's, there's the coaching customers and then there's the flower farming customers. And if I'm not careful about the way I word things, I mean, if my flower farmers, you know, re- or if my flower customers, you know, hear the way I talk when I'm coaching, they might interpret it as, oh, well, we're just a number and she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, I'm not. No, I am not. But just trying to like have that balance of teaching, you know, that both are priorities. Um, and so, you know, I have a social media manager. I actually just recently in December, um, it has been life-changing. I now have an executive assistant and she literally sorts through my emails and she has, like, I have folders in there. One says Liz to open, one says Liz to open ASAP. And otherwise she just like responds back to people. She's logged in as an admin. And it's just, that has been huge because a lot of my weddings and a lot of, um, you know, different events and, you know, because we have brides now that we do weddings and just needs to keep that customer experience doing better because if it takes me nine days to respond to an email that doesn't look very good. Um, and then she also lines up the guests for my podcasts. And now that my podcast is starting to get sponsorships and just managing all of those relationships, it it really is finding the right people, outsourcing the right things. Um, I have someone that does all my QuickBooks for me now, like it takes her an hour to go through all of my bank statements and line everything up. And that used to take me days because I would get distracted. And, you know, she just does it every month and it takes her an hour. And, you know, she's a CPA and just finding your who's, not figuring out how to do everything. Mm. That's really great advice. So that's kind of one of the the high points is maybe bringing on some of that help. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the things that you've learned a lot from or the ones that were maybe not so fun? Yeah, I would say... Just when I know that, um, you know, there's, there's customers that come out or there's, there's crop failures or, you know, like last year we had the problem with flowers is it's, it's hard. And I've looked into it like different crop insurance policies for the most part. Since, like I said, most of my flowers, the more you cut them, the more they keep producing. And so if a hailstorm were to come through, they would mostly bounce back. It it might take, you probably would lose like a couple weeks worth of crop, but they would produce new offshoots and produce new flowers. Um, So to have a policy, unless you grow just dahlias or just this or just that, but when you grow, I mean, I would say I used to grow about 50 different kinds of flowers. I'm down to about 15 different colors of those flowers, but still only like 15 varieties because again, like diversity on a farm is not always a good thing, even if it's still flowers. Um, and so I think, you know, just there've been a lot of lessons learned the hard way along, along with that. And, you know, just trying to, um, manage the expectations of the customers and just like educate them on when it's, you know, such a, you know, it's their experience. They come out, they cut their flowers, but you know, for example, the you picks that we do on Saturdays, I seriously think I'm going to change the name to you pick and you arrange. People come out, they're like, well, I picked mine. Now are you going to arrange them and make them look pretty? And there's 60 people here on a Saturday morning. And I'm like, no, no, you just put them in the face, bring them home. Like I, okay. You know, just again, like those expectations of when you're, when you're starting something new and I have learned 
you know, they can't read my mind. They can't understand, you know, what I mean. And so that's on me to be more clear on what that needs to look like and, you know, just managing kind of those expectations. And then of course there are people who will look at them and say, that's $30. Okay. You don't have to, it's not for you. And learning that you're not for everyone. And, you know, it's like, yeah, no, th- those seedlings take nine months to grow. There's a lot of cost that goes into those flowers. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of costs in anything that you grow in agriculture. Flowers are no different. Um, So as you've kind of grown, what are some of the mindset hurdles that you've had to overcome? You talked about like not necessarily learning how to do everything, but how to find the right people to do those things. There are so many mindset things that come up when you're growing a business that you probably never anticipated like having crossed your mind. What are some of them that you've overcome or dealt with? You know, I, so I went to college undergrad at SDSU. Um, I was a nursing major. I was in a professional egg sorority called Sigma Alpha. And I think I was one of four out of, I don't know, 40 that wasn't an egg major. Mm-hmm. And so I've always struggled with like finding my place in agriculture and feeling somewhat like I didn't belong or I wasn't supposed to be there because I had this passion for healthcare, but also like, I didn't know that flower farming existed. Like now that it's here and I have my passion and I know what it is, but I didn't, I didn't know, you know, like my best friend was um, a dairy science major. And then there was, you know, my other best friend was egg business and, you know, we're still best friends and they're like, we're just so happy. Like you've found your place and it just makes sense. And it just fits so well, but it's, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to work as a, you know, grain merchandiser. And I don't want to work as a, like, that's not, you know, Hey, I grew up on a farm and I liked it. And we showed cattle. And again, my, my world of, you know, maybe what agriculture was or, you know, not understanding. So I think that's definitely been, um, the mindset of like, I do belong here. I, I belong here. Like when I, um, you know, and just never underestimating, you know, your roots or where you came from and, you know, just trying to find that place. Um, it's kind of funny as, you know, as a nurse practitioner, like it's something that that's a career that most would proudly profess. And now it's when people ask me what I do for a living, I don't, especially since my husband passed away, like I don't define I don't define anyone by their career, but like, I just, I actually, I ask people like, so how do you occupy your time? What do you like to do? Like that's, that's how I word that. I don't say, what do you do for a living? Cause not everyone loves their job. I love my job. I love all of my jobs, but I know that that's kind of somewhat a rarity. And so that mindset of as long as I'm doing what I love doing and I know I'm meant to do it and I belong here and I belong in this space and you know, i yeah, just like I said, teaching teaching those women that were at Flower Farmer Forum, another FFS <laughs> um, on Saturday. You know, I mean, the one was like, I didn't even know that we as flower farmers could get some of these loans or some of these grants or, you know, some of these urban agri-access things or whatever. And, you know, it's perfect because, um, you know, one example they gave was if you're going to go teach a flower arranging class off of flowers that you grew at community ed. Like that's, you could probably get an agri access grant for that or whatever it might be. And it's just knowing that we belong here too. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people in agriculture have voiced that, you know, it's sometimes it is a struggle to figure out where you fit because agriculture is changing and it doesn't look exactly like it used to, or that maybe we've all been kind of come up with this idea from our childhoods or our grandparents of what it looks like. Have you ever had somebody actually like tell you or make you feel like you're not welcome or you don't belong? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, when I first, you know, like when Josh and I even first moved out here and it's like, you know, and then in 2020, like, well, you're not farming. I'm like, no, oh, we rent out like the 23 tillable and we, and then people will be like, well, how many acres do you farm on? I'm like, um, between a fourth and a third. And because I rotate my crops and, you know, and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, but I sell about 5,000 bouquets between, you know, and like, and it's just, it's, again, I, I have never necessarily cared what people think is that, you know, and I, I hate using the term like influencer or whatever. I mean, I have like around 5,000 followers on Instagram. It's not like it's, you know, whatever, but on Saturday, I got one of the best compliments from one of my peddling perishable products students who had never met me in person. And she just said, she's like, Liz, I just have to tell you that I've overheard so many people in this room say they feel like they know you because the you that's on your podcast, the you that's in the videos coaching, the you that's talking on your stories and social media, it's all the same. And it's very authentic and it's very genuine. And that is why we trust you and you, you know, and even with this, with this coaching business and getting these flower farmers together, um, a lot of people were like, well, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, you know, you're educating your competition because some of them are only 10 miles away. I mean, some of them are really close. And I just said, you know, I'm really content in my customer base. I really am happy with the workload that we have. We're trying to work more efficiently. Um, trying to, you know, I'm, I don't want to expand. I don't want to increase the amount that I'm growing because it's such a manageable, happy, good, happy medium of like profit there. And then I still want to work my one day a week as a nurse practitioner. And then now I'm kind of expanding and growing the coaching piece, which a lot of it in the podcast, which a lot of that can be done in the winter time, in the off season. And so I'm just, I'm really content with where it's at. And so I just said, I want to... I want to set the standard. I want to um, kind of get everyone on that same playing field because, you know, for example, the insurance piece, like I have a separate insurance um, agritainment policy. Um, yes, there are laws, you know, agritourism laws, but they are very, very, there's a lot of scenarios where you would not be covered. And so when I have people come out to my UPEX, I factor that insurance policy into my pricing. And so if another farm down the road is charging $10 cash to pick as many flowers as you want, you know that they don't have that policy. You know, they don't. And it's not that they're avoiding it. They just don't know any different. And so it's just kind of setting that industry standard. And like I said, you know, helping and growing from each other because we all have our own customer base. And I just think, you know, creating the room that I want to hang out in because it doesn't exist right now because it's such a new trendy thing. And it's kind of like the wild west of flower farming. Anything goes, we're all just trying something. We're all just copying each other and something we saw on the internet or what another flower farmer is doing somewhere else. And it's, I mean, it's the bubble's going to burst, right? Like there's like anything, like it'll, it'll be like a trendy thing, but 
I want to still be standing in a couple of years and I plan to be. Yeah, definitely. I love it. I, I always like to ask people if they were made to feel the way that they do about having a place or not having a place in agriculture by other people. Because I think so much of that is like, it could be one experience that we had when we were really young that made us feel that way. And then we just always feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I hope that we're as an industry working to overcome that because the access that you are creating for people to get started farming when they would mm-hmm. never have the opportunity to do it the traditional way or the way that mm-hmm. Joe down the road sees farming, like mm-hmm. just, that's not an option for so. Oh, and I'm, I, I know all of my neighbors think that I'm just crazy, and that's fine. <laughs> like that's it. We always joke that I'm going to show up with a cup of coffee at the local co-op and just sit down with all the farmers. <laughs> like, Man, this drought. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But at the same time, if we want, you know, we hate to see rural areas decline. And if we don't have opportunities to make farming and rural life accessible for people, then we're just going to continue to see more of these dilapidated farmhouses because nobody can live there to make a living unless they have opportunities like this. Mm -hmm. So I love what you're doing, both teaching and just kind of leading the way on your own farm. I'm so, so happy you agreed to come share your story with listeners here. Do you want to leave them maybe with something that you hope that they can take from you and then tell more about where to follow you and where to find you to learn more? Yeah, I just would say you know, kind of getting back to what I said at the beginning, um, what, what you are in control with what is on the bingo card of your life. Um, there are things that happen to me, um, my husband passing away. So actually there was a, there was a segment on the local care 11 news, um, a couple years ago about my flower farm and that reporter actually won a regional Emmy award for his story on it. And a couple of people were like, Oh, I guess congrats. Like you won that because you know, you're on TV cause your husband died. And I was like, well, no, because lots of people's husbands die and it's what I did afterwards. And I'm not going to discredit that because my life. So actually in that speech, I have my bingo card from 2020, 2021 and then now 2024. Um, and my 2021 bingo card is filled with a lot of anger and a lot of like, I didn't go to church that whole year. I didn't like, I like just things like that. Just, and I definitely could have continued down that path of anger. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't. Um, so whether it's, you know, if you are being called to be a stay at home mom, if you're being called to go back to work, if you're being called to start a flower farm, if you're being called to have a different purpose, it's going to take work. It's not easy. It's not hard, but ultimately like you are responsible for what's on that bingo card. And so I just hope that um, if you're interested in starting a flower farm, definitely uh, go ahead and listen to my podcast, the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. Uh, I do a lot of, you know, there's a lot of free resources within the podcast, but then, like I said, the the really like one-on-one coaching and you kind of alluded this in the beginning, um, you know, being called to that coaching piece and what that looks like. There's a lot of Again, now now online courses are kind of like a trendy thing now and a way to make money. And I don't want 300 people signing up for peddling nourishable products. Like I have a cap on it to the people that I know that I can actually like 
I want to follow their farm on Instagram. I want, you know, they get a one-on-one phone call with me on at the end of the course. They get group coaching throughout it. Like I want to see these people actually be successful. And so that's why it's, you know, priced the way it is. And that's why the experience is the way it is. But um my Instagram is at Sunny Mary Meadow. Um, I actually have two Instagrams. Well, actually I have three, but um, so it's at Sunny Mary Meadow. There is one right now at sunnymarymeadow.coaching, but I've kind of made the decision to let that go. And then my Instagram for Sunny Mary Meadow is going to be focused kind of on the coaching piece, but on the podcast and my Facebook for Sunny Mary Meadow will still be how to buy flowers and for my flower farm, because I find that people that want to come buy the flowers are on Facebook and people that want to learn about growing flowers and listen to the podcast are on Instagram. Um, and I do most of my sales through email anyway for my flower farm. So now uh, just Sunday Mary Meadow and then Sunday Meadow is where you can find all of the resources. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. I hope listeners take a lot from this episode and can follow up with you. We'll make sure to link to those in the notes. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat. <laughs>